0: Thank you for coming out. Thank you for
1: coming out. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming-out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this particular episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we're not in the studio using our professional equipment, but we are all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am beyond thrilled about our guest that we have here today, Elliot Glazer. He, him, currently serves as an executive producer on YouTube Premium's original half-hour series, Liza On Demand. He is developing and is attached to Star Opposite Arrows, Colton Haynes, in the AMC Studios original half-hour, I Run Hot, with executive producer and director, Alana Glazer, for Peacock. He is also developing the original half-hour, Dentada, I hope I said that right, uh, for Paramount TV, and the Untitled untitled liza koshy movie for nickelodeon he wrote for comedy central's broad city and recurred throughout its run as alana's brother elliot he recently served as a supervising producer on the tv land series teachers and as and as the showrunner of the mtv pilot gay code other writing credits include Fox's the new girl darren stars tv land series younger vh1's best week ever and comedy central's time traveling bong elliot welcome
0: Thank you for having me. Make, <laughs> you make me sound so accomplished. Oh, my God.
1: I, I mean, I didn't even read the whole second paragraph of, of I don't even, your I don't even
0: It's funny. I don't even, I don't, it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't strike me. It strikes me as like fancy, but I don't feel fancy. Uh,
1: let's, can we talk about that? Sure. I mean, I'm going to put it for notes for later. Um, But I have the, because I, I was watching you as I was reading it and your face was like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was like, okay, this is, let's, you know, not, not to hurry me up per se, no. but you know, I, I have the same feeling of when I, when I, when I speak in different um venues and things. So I, I don't know if you know, I work at an organization called Keshet. Um, oh,
0: sure. Oh, Keshet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so um I do a ton of speaking gigs and facilitate trainings and always have to send my bio. And it's always such a, um, When they read the bio, I always make a joke, and it's like, "Thank you for that incredible bio that I wrote for myself." (laughs) (laughs) Right. But um, but it really it's like surreal. It feels so. It's like, and people are like, "You're famous." I'm like, "Well, I'm not famous," but it's just just such a weird feeling. Yeah, it's hard to.
0: It's hard to. uh, Yeah, it's very. You know, obviously, you want to succeed and you want to do. You know, you want to do well and 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 you know get stuff done. But you know, I hearing that it's like. It's uh hearing your resume out loud is is can be daunting just because some things haven't worked or you face rejection in certain capacities and um, it's it's by no means triggering. It's just like oh you know just thinking about how the business works and how you know uh, how naive I, I I was at first, sort of jumping into it, and I got off to a pretty good start, and then just you know it became more real and the challenges became more realistic and. Um, all the factors that, that have gone into the last, you know, half, half dozen years or so have been, you know, have been tumultuous. And so I feel like I've lost a little bit of that um, (laughs) youthful glow and naivete about the work, but you know, I still love doing it. I could never imagine doing anything else, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like I'm right in the beginning of like starting to become more recognized and Mm. that's like, I was like, this, this, I don't know how this is going to come. Well, I was going to say, I don't know how this is going to come off, but I just, I just have, do you ever just like have a feeling about something? I just have this feeling that like I'm going to have to start dealing with more bigger things. Right. If that, and if that sounds weird, but I don't mean it to sound weird, but I feel like just there's like traction happening. Yeah.
0: You get heat. You feel it. You get heat. Yeah. I feel the heat. Yeah. I feel the heat. Yeah.
1: Um, but I mean, either, but either way, it it is, it is a daunting thing to hear your (laughs) resume. I never thought about that.
0: Yeah. It doesn't, (laughs) I mean, no matter what you've done, no matter what your industry or, you know, your line of work or even your activism, like it just, it's daunting to hear it out loud.
1: Yeah. And then it's also like, am I doing enough? Right. Am I doing the right things?
0: (laughs) Well, unfortunately that's where I unspool and I, I lose my mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for everyone who, who's listening um, there's a whole second paragraph that I didn't read. And so I think, I think you're doing enough oh, <laughs> from, thanks. from where I'm sitting. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. So, I mean, I didn't even ask you, how are you doing? How are you? What's new?
0: I'm doing good. I'm actually in New York now um, uh, for a couple of weeks. I live in LA, but I'm in New York. People actually always think I still live here probably because I'm I don't know because conf- people connect me to my sister or Broad City or I think honestly because I look Jewish people are like oh yeah New York like they just <laughs> they're just they just think I'm I live here and I've never left but um no I've been in I, I live in L A but I'm here for a few weeks my sister is um, pregnant and almost due so that's very exciting for. Family, but I'm also doing my first, like, post-COVID trip and doing the... I'm actually exhausted. You know, I'm not even going to get to do (laughs) a lot of stuff because I'm just trying to see everyone I know and love here, friends and family. And it's even with, like, even in two weeks, it's like a packed schedule that is just exhausting. But I, you know, after everything that happened in 2020, I'm just... Dying to see everybody and reconnect. So yeah, it's it's good to be here. Um, I will say that I packed wisely this time and brought bought and brought a really insane um, really insane accoutrement. It's a neck fan. Oh, <laughs> and a neck like, fan. <laughs> yes, and I, I found it at like a weird museum in Palm Springs in the gift shop, but it's this like beautiful, like pearl white. Um, not particularly expensive like thing that goes around your neck with two very quiet fans at the end of them. And I wear it and I know, I know I look absolutely batshit crazy, but I don't care. And then like in New York or any, any hot city, but really in New York, like I can I just can't deal with the I just can't deal anymore with the ups and downs of the temperature and not even seasonally, just like going in and out of places in the subway. Like it really took a toll on me when I lived here because I didn't understand that as a New Yorker, when you leave the city and you go to other places, (laughs) it's just not that sort of that lifestyle is not thrust upon you Mm -hmm. necessarily. And so this time around, I'm like, you know, I mean, I think I think by the time I was in my last couple of years in New York, I was I had a cheap car but it was like to me I felt like a king because it had like air conditioning and I could regulate myself basically and I wasn't mm-hmm. always on foot and and you know just kind of weathering the elements of the city and so the- <laughs> it's so dumb but I love my neck fan I don't care what anybody says or thinks when they look give me you know they look at me twice I'm like listen it's my you know it's my neck fan I'm proud of it
1: yeah oh my gosh I'm proud of it I'm so happy for you I I I'm so happy that neck fans exist. <laughs> oh, who knew? a treat!
0: It's a real treat. And I used to, <laughs> I used to get like, I used to have a UC a USB um, little fan that would plug into my computer, like if I needed it wherever mm. I where it was, into my laptop. But this is even better. Like it just, it doesn't have to plug into anything. I can just lay. It can just rest on my neck and blow quiet wind in my face, and <laughs> I feel like a million bucks.
1: I'm thrilled for you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and also mazel tov on becoming an uncle.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited.
1: That's very, very, very exciting. I became an unki for the first time a few years ago, and it's such um, a good feeling.
0: Yeah, I'm really pumped. My sister and brother-in-law are, you know, just wonderful and they're going to be incredible parents and we don't know the gender yet the gender no gender no uh damaging gender reveal party with fireworks or anything like that but um Mm -hmm. but we're all just really excited and it's gonna happen any day now I don't think I'll be here when it actually happens on the due date but I've sort of sandwiched dates to come back in to the east coast like very soon after she gives birth so I I couldn't be more excited I'm already like I already have like uncle brain where I see like baby socks and I'm like, I need, you know, I need, I need, like, I see kids clothes now in a different way where it's like, I need that in my life for my niece or nephew. Yes. It doesn't exist yet. In, or you're you know,
1: nibbling. We don't know. I'm nibbling? We don't know. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. I had the same, I bought um, so many things, so many like t-shirts to match their onesies because I love yeah. matching and it's the oh, best. My oh, favorite sorry. is I have one that's I heart to fart. <laughs> so me and all my nibblings have that. And another one is You're Killing Me Smalls. Oh, my uh, God. From uh, Sandlot. Oh, um, yes. Oh, my yeah. God.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. That's great.
1: Um, So highly recommend Matchy Matching.
0: Yes, I love that idea.
1: <laughs> um, All right. So we all have multiple coming out stories or coming into ourselves stories. And so I would love, we all would love to hear one of yours.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wish I had... Uh, I wish I had some sort of like big, epic, sweeping um, story to share about my coming out. But it was sort of, I mean, it was sort of, I guess, ordinary in a a certain capacity. But I grew up on Long Island. And at the time, like in the late 90s, early aughts, it was, you know, at least according to me, like still a very homophobic era, you know. And um, uh, at the time, at least where I grew up, was like very um, sort of Italian, Irish, Catholic, very like macho. Um, and I come from a, a un- I think unusually soft family where we're just kind of ch- chill, and my parents are laid back, you know, laid back and um, non. I don't know how to put it. They're just, I guess for 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 Long Island, they're they're they could be considered hippies, but I would. It's not even it's not even that. They're just very accepting, loving people who always were the parents that m- mine and my sister's friends would literally come to hang out with, and like genuinely shoot the shit because they were so accepting and easy to talk to so for me it wasn't really an excruciating um circumstance to come out to them they were actually the first people I came out to pretty significantly before I came out to everybody else so I think for me uh I basically had a bizarre sort of scenario where you know being closeted at that time was certainly difficult um, and the sort of machismo factor of being on long island made it even more difficult and so i really it felt like the 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 future was grim um and sort of in this bizarre this bizarre scenario my i i was sort of doing everything i could in high school to deflect from anybody questioning my sexuality so i had a girlfriend but we didn't do anything mm-hmm. and i would do like I would do like soccer, but I also did theater. But I would also try to pretend I play down theater so that nobody would like call me a slur or something, you know. And I and I was able to sort of toe that line. But the the, the strangest, like the cruelest irony, I guess, of all of it was that my drama teacher, who directed all the plays, was this uh, sort of bitter, eccentric older woman who made it her business for god knows what reason, to sort of hone in on students' deepest insecurities and then amplify them. And I couldn't tell you why. And I couldn't tell you how she had tenure. And I couldn't tell you how she was never fired. But she would, she was actively like trying to spread the rumor that I was gay and would do so like with my closest friends. And they had to sort of bear the brunt of it where they weren't getting, like, I did they didn't know I was What they didn't know I was gay. And and so it was just this really excruciating time for me. And so eventually, um, I felt the need to come out and I did so to my parents, um, probably like senior year of high school, but I just didn't feel it was right or the right time to do it everywhere, at least in high school, at least. So, um, I came out to them first and they were whole, wholeheartedly accepting. Um, so that made it easy. And then my sort of clunky, coming out process after that based on I guess what I'd known at the time was like or read about was like then you come out to people one by one and you do it however you want but you know you can come out to people one by one it's however you want to tell people you don't have to tell people and so I sort of made it made it an active choice to just um, tell everybody I wanted to one by one Um, and it's just so indicative of the time but I remember doing so on the phone with a friend but also on aim on instant messenger. Mm-hmm. So I <laughs> was on the phone, like, I have to tell you something. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna message it to you. And I messaged it to her and she was like, Yeah, I know. I I know, of course. Mm-hmm. Like, and everybody was fully accepting. And so I don't it's it's unfortunately it's not a really interesting um story, except that I I guess the the weird sort of um the the weird a forecasting was that the week before I tried to overcompensate by I really tried to overcompensate among my friends by being like re- pretending I was really into like women's breasts and I was just like <laughs> for a week I was like mm, like wow the woman has great tits or it was like so ra- was so awkward coming out of my mouth I'm like look at her breasts it was just so so awkward and so so clunky and I think that was if any if if nothing else, like the dead giveaway to my friends when I was like, so I'm gay. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. You, you're commenting on women's breasts, you weirdo. Like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it, unfortunately it wasn't that it wasn't, it was kind of unremarkable. And I mean, fortunately for me, I guess it ended up being unremarkable. It wasn't um, too excruciating, but yeah, it was the, the road to getting there was only really truly deeply complicated by my teacher essentially bullying me into you know hiding further in the closet
1: that is so first of all thank you for sharing sure and i hate this teacher She's I've...
0: terrible she's you know and and i know i'm not crazy because everybody else everybody else in high school who was who was a, a student of hers had a similar story but there was sort of a fear to I guess, report her because it was, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't a, the era of, of me too. And, you know, and like, I don't even want to say cancel culture, but like accountability culture yeah. was not present, you know, at the time. And so I think there was a fear that if we reported her in that way that it wouldn't necessarily do anything if anything it would just bring more attention to you or only make things more awkward and aloof with the teacher and so everybody had you know a similar s- sentiment with her where they would f- i mean really like truly like i have a friend who i'm still friends with to this day, who's like a petite girl and she would like make fun of her small chest like in front of everybody which is bananas oh and you God. think about this in in, in retrospect and it's <clears throat> absolutely batshit crazy. But yeah, at the time it was, it was a, a really stressful, um, a really stressful, uh, thing to endure. Uh, you know, as if, you know, as if being closeted isn't already hard enough when you're a teenager or any age, but especially as a young person, but to have it all complicated by who's someone who's supposed to be your, tr- your trusted teacher in a theater program of all places mm-hmm. was, but truly like insane.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine, imagine that I, there was, I was not out in high school. I was terrified to come out in high school, but there was, there was one moment and I don't know how this came about, but I was holding hands with a classmate in French class. It was a girl and I was being perceived as a girl at that time. And, um, I don't know why but it was thrilling to hold another girl's hand. That oh was like as far as I've ever been with a girl at that time. And like the teacher like called like was like, "Why are you holding hands?" and was like kind of making fun of it and then mm. girl dropped dropped it and I was mortified. And this yeah. this feels like just a sliver. And now this teacher's like an incredible ally, but um oh, wow. like I that feels like just a sliver of what you had to deal with. I'm so sorry.
0: No, I mean it's okay. I mean, I, I, I was even just, just today, uh, truly, just like <laughs> I just went to Sweet Green to get a salad and just had a moment of realizing that like everybody in there was wearing a pride shirt, a Sweet Green like pride shirt. Everyone who worked there, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking like how surreal it is, or how surreal it would be to imagine back then the idea of such forward a- allyship and, you know, c- corporate sponsorship of pride, whether you, whether you love it or hate it, like the no- knowing that it exists and the visibility of it. If I had that back then, I probably would have had a much easier time than I did. But I, you know, I often think about like, I often think about that era and how like I'll never, it was sort of accepted that Eminem would say fag in his mm. rap you know mm-hmm. or even 50 cent would say f- faggot or whatever and it was like for me it always like it, it like stings you know you'd hear it and you're like jeez I don't want to like it's a it's a slur it's horrifying and to think that at the time you just kind of had to go with it you know you just had to go with it and and, if, and even that even beyond that like I'll you know do you remember that Elton John Eminem uh, duet or whatever they did at the Grammys where it was like look they're coming together and it's like yeah, cool, but it still sucks that we have to hear him and his like protege say faggot in in their songs. Like it's, it's just, it's triggering and it's, and it's, there's no, there's no need to do that. And I'm glad that we've come beyond that, you know, and obviously nothing is perfect by any means, but I think, and we face our own sort of, you know, systematic challenges now as as queer people. But that all being said, just seeing people in in rainbow t-shirts everywhere and corporate sponsorship it's it's so um rewarding and it happened in such a short period of time and i only wish that it continues to make people you know young people in particular feel feel safe and and this uh, not to go off on a tangent about the show but i had a show that you had uh, announced before it was in development at peacock it's no longer there but we're trying to get it made and we're trying to pitch it to other networks but mm-hmm it's you know on the surface it's a buddy comedy sort of an odd couple scenario with me and colton haynes and me sort of as a curmudgeonly gay and him as as the like you know good looking gay guy who could basically get whatever he wants but we're best friends and you know the show is very clearly a hard comedy you know it's a funny show that uh is all jokes but I also can't help but feel super attached to it more than anything else I've done because I feel like the the crux of the show and the crux of seeing these two queer characters surrounded by other queer characters in everyday life is that they're unremarkable. Yeah, and yeah. as a ki- as a kid, you know, a lot of people, I, once I started, once I came out and started, you know, becoming friends with more queer people, so many guys and girls, but a lot of guys talked about watching queer as folk. And I just never, I'd never watched, I'd never felt a interest or connection in it, quite honestly. And I feel like there's room now for the unremarkable, like the normalization of bland <laughs> or unlikable and flawed queer characters. And I would love to be able to, you know, that's sort of the goal of mine is to is to use comedy to sort of normalize queer characters to the point where they're, you know, curmudgeons or lovable curmudgeons or, you know, just, just getting, just getting layers and different layers of people in the, you know, in the queer perspective, because there are so much, so many more than I think we get to see in film and TV,
1: yeah, well, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for so long, the queerness was the joke, or the queerness yes, was right. the topic, and instead, yeah, like moving beyond that, it's like, no, we're just characters who, we're just people who live lives, and we have things happen to us, and we do things. Yeah, um, that's what's that, that's what I think is special about. Thank you for coming out in our improv is that. The, the queerness isn't the joke. The coming out right. story isn't the joke. We're just all queer people on stage pulling funny little things from even, right. you know, painful stories. We're still able to find little moments of yeah nuggets, little nuggets, nuggets that aren't
0: necessarily even queer themselves. They're just parts of the story that you're using for improv, but the source material happens to be queer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, right. and, and the queer people and the queer themes are never the joke. It's never yeah. been the joke. Yeah. And I love that. I still feel, I mean,
0: honestly, like I feel, although there's definitely been progress, um, it does still feel to me quite often, like the queerness is still the joke in a lot of, in a lot of, um, I don't know, media. And I've, I feel like I've rarely seen queer characters who defy that when I do find them, I like, you know, glob onto them real quick and hang on for dear life because I love seeing that but I still feel like it is the minority and that we have I mean just to be even candid like you know we we, we've been pitching this show with a studio um, pretty widely and one note that we got was like we love this show it's so funny but it's a we're something about I'm going to paraphrase here but it's like our audience likes you know our audience isn't just into like It's not our audience isn't coastal, and this is a little too West Hollywood for our audience. And you know, in reading that, I was at first like, oh, you know, just disappointed. And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I think what I was hearing in that was like the the when you say West Hollywood to me, that's like saying, you know, Chelsea or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're just saying the show is too gay for a broad audience, and obviously you haven't seen what we what we made but Mm -hmm. you know you can trust me when I tell you that like that's it's it's just hard comedy that happens to be about two queer people and I was actually a little bit insulted by the idea of calling calling a show with two queer characters to West Hollywood for like middle America like that that I don't I don't believe that and I think that's I just don't I think that's like regressive. It, it it really it rubbed me the wrong way the more I thought about it because it felt like a little microaggression.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's to me that feels um you know like how you were talking about like corporate pride and corporate sponsors and how we've made so much progress and then it's 2021 yeah. and you're still having this fucking conversation. Right. It's like so confusing. It's like pick a very confusing. Pick a, pick a direction people.
0: Yes, it's it's really confusing, and and I guess in this desire to like have more representative storytelling and diverse storytelling, there does seem to be this weird, at least from my perspective, this weird um, gap or hole that that hasn't been filled with uh, um, non-epic queer characters, like just quote unquote normal. Relatably funny weirdos, you know, dirtbags, flawed people who, because that's how, re- that's what representation would be. You would yeah. see the real, real life version of, of, you know, how queerness actually works in the real world. So I don't know why, you know, that, that, that keeps that idea just doesn't make its way through. And I'm trying with all my might to <laughs> be one of the first to do it because not just because I'm, you know, a, uh, are a hustling writer comedian artist but because I so wish I had something like that when I was a little bit younger something that felt I guess I didn't watch Queer as Folk because it didn't I didn't understand what queer was mm-hmm. and it just didn't feel like my, I just remember it being like sexy and like and I remember like club scenes and stuff and I had no I felt no connection with that and it felt very um I don't know Empty, not maybe not empty, but just like I felt nothing, to, no connection to it. And I wish there was something more um, just funny, just something funny that I would have been able to laugh at, but also would have taken some source of solace in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that idea of visibility and representation it comes up in every episode and it's just it's so important to be able to have that and that's that's why I do the work at Keshet is because I didn't have any queer adults queer Jewish adults in my life and it's like what could my life have been how much different what path could it have been if I would have known that there were transgender queer Jews yeah like life literally life-changing and so of course um, I don't know if and how or wh- if there is anything that I can do to help you. <laughs> I mean, me helping you, it seems ridiculous. But if there happens to be something, of course, please let me know. I will
0: email you immediately.
1: Please do. No, um, I just,
0: it's funny. Because, I mean, just to your point, it's even as we even as the entertainment industry. But I think the world collectively pushes for diversity and the narrative continues to unfurl, especially on social media. Even as that push happens every single day, and accountability culture continues to grow, and I think, you know, the, uh, uh, and 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 like people get canceled for you know, even if people get canceled for minor stuff, and it, it, all of it being said, like the um, the 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 hunger for seeing yourself or a version of yourself or your family. In a narrative format, maybe even in a reality format just continues to be, um, I think, continues to be a true, you know, a true um, phenomenon, because when you when you think about it, and you and you look at it, you know, you look at that kind of stuff over time we 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 kind of had the same thing shoved down our throat over and over and over and over again and so even if things are changing it still does happen to be at a glacial pace in terms of you know diversity and representation on screen because it's it's just slow to happen i think mm-hmm. even as the world maybe as the world and like culture especially american culture continues to push for that visibility i think the actual version of it on TV and even in, in, in film too, is still slow to, they're trying, but it's still slow. And so I personally get frustrated when I'm like, what's wrong with like a, a buddy comedy about two people that happen to be gay? Like, why wouldn't you want to watch that? That's like, that to me is, is an actual way of reforming the you know sort of uh, um, changing the system, so mm-hmm. to speak but doing so in a way that's actually palatable and enjoyable. And it's not a lecture. I, I, I want to make you laugh, but then also subtly change your mind.
1: Yes. (laughs) That's how I teach. Yes. I may try to make people laugh and I guilt them. And I'm like, I'm a comedian in New York city. So you have to laugh at my jokes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Or I'll feel sad. (laughs) Right. But it's true. It's like, you know, laughter is the lubricant of the mind. And it's like you, you intake information and you, are relaxed and you are connecting when you're laughing. And it, it truly is such a, such an entryway into educating people.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, even working on broad city, like the choice to make um, Abby's well choice to make both, both of the girls characters queer and to not um, treat it as a big deal, just sort of to roll with it and just have that be part of the storytelling to me that's revolu- quietly revolutionary because you're not um you're not there's no there, there's feels no there felt like no need to key up or um you know premeditate these you know this the the idea that the characters were queer by ginning up the the you know what came before it and needing to over explain or needing to even over acknowledge it no like the fact that it just is and that that's who these people are and that they both of them in on separate occasions like date someone of the same gender it's it's not a thing and when you and when you make people laugh and normalize something in in the world of comedy that I think does, can, has, has the possibility and potential to do more than teaching them, you know, putting, giving, giving them a book or, or, you know, sort of shaming them on, on Twitter or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like make, yeah. it's not antagonistic and it's not even scholarly. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. It's just funny. And, but that, that sort of, a, it's like sort of, um I always forget the term, but it's something about like putting the 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 medicine in the candy or the the idea of like uh uh wrapping wrapping like a vitamin you know like a a multivitamin in like fruit roll-up or something you Mm. know making something that actually makes your brain healthier and, and exposes you to to a queer you know rubric or a queer perspective but making it so palatable that it doesn't even it doesn't put you on edge. It doesn't make you uncomfortable. It just is. And it's because you're laughing, you're learning, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I so appreciated that about Broad City that it just, you know, because, I mean, I know my whole show is think, is coming out and celebrating that. And I usually, you know, we get into the before and where you in pain and all of those things, which are also important parts of the story. And that's not, the only way to talk about coming out and coming into oneself and being queer. And, and so, so much, so much appreciation in the way that Broad City handled both of their queer identities. And I particularly Abby's Mm -hmm. because it was just, it just hadn't dawned. like spoiler alert, everyone, but you should have, you should have seen it by now, but like, it just was like, Oh, I just never thought of it this way, but I have this feeling and I'm going to go with it because I'm an adult who's consenting. And Like what a beautiful modeling of living authentically.
0: Yep. And it didn't need to be an, not that there's anything wrong with this, but it didn't need to be like an after-school special where we yeah. sit down and we fret and, you know, and, it's, right. and it requires anxiety. No, it's just like, uh, I'm, this is interesting. I'm going to try this. Cause I'm going to, like you said, like I'm, I'm an adult. I'm going to try this. Yeah. I might like it. I might not, might not like it, but. The, and, and in the, for the character, she liked it. It, it, it's, re- that is quietly revolutionary to me. And I don't yeah, need to yeah. pat myself on the back being part of the show. I just, I would have thought the same thing if I didn't work for the show, just making it, making it unremarkable to me is always super powerful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it is, it is revolutionary and it's. Um, I think the more that we talk about all the different ways it is to be queer, and how you can be queer, and how you can come into your queerness, whether it is the like after-school special version, or it is the oh, I just have a tickle in my tummy, and that's never happened, but I'm going to see yeah. what happens. Like, exactly, these, these are all valid ways of being, and so the more we get have exposure to them, um, the more, like you were saying, it normalizes it. And I also want to kind of push it and say, it destigmatizes too.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's the right word for it. It does completely destigmatize it by just making it unremarkable.
1: Yeah, just like this is another one of the zillion ways of existing in the world. Yeah, it's another um,
0: facet of my life, and and there are many facets. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. So while we're talking about Broad City, um, I know I've loved your character on Broad City, Thanks. and as I was doing my deep dive research of you, I have to just geek out for one quick second. Sure. And you wrote my absolute favorite episode, along came oh. Molly.
0: Oh, you do. You like that one? That is my
1: favorite episode because there's one scene where they're where Abby and Alana are are deciding if they should get the ca- take the couch to the concert. Mm-hmm. And I, I took my phone and videoed my TV. <laughs> Abby's like little monologue was like, "Is there a world? Like I have it actually memorized, <laughs> oh every motion, every breath, because it is truly the funniest thing I've ever seen." And oh, I sent it to please. all my friends, and I was like, "This is the best scene." And most were like you're fine. And some right. people are like I get why it's funny, but yeah. I just thank you for writing that because it's the favorite <laughs> thing, my favorite thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's
0: great. I love that. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um okay, so we're talking about TV. We're talking about representation on TV. And so I I normally don't know my guests ring of keys moments, but I'm so happy to know yours. Yeah. So can you share with So for those of you listening who aren't aware of what a ring of keys moment is. Um it's bits pulled from Alice and um graphic novel and broadway show um fun home where small allison is in a diner and a butch lesbian walks in and it's this moment of like self-recognition in somebody else so it's like a moment of representation and visibility um and life-changing for a lot of people so i'd love to i'd love to for you to bring into to the conversation your ring of keys moment yeah for
0: sure i mean i was well into my adult adulthood when this show was on tv but um uh, the show Happy Endings, the sitcom on ABC, which was short-lived but absolutely beloved, was in and of itself an incredibly brilliantly funny show. So fast-paced, so challenging in the best ways, mm-hmm. just so much fun, just such a great show. But what was remarkable to me was the character of Max, who was played by um, Adam Pally, who was a gay ca- a gay man who happened to be like a true full-blown sleaze bag, dirt bag. Like he was always hustling and running cons and was genuinely like genuinely like trash like true trash <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> never could hold down a job never could he always had like m- you know money-making schemes and um, drove like a crappy limo. like it, it, the character was just absolutely hilarious but what was wonderful about it was that he was gay and identified as such and there was never a fuss of any kind made about his sexuality um, he dated and was friends with guys who were effeminate, guys who were I guess butch, I, I don't know if, if that's the correct terms to use or whatever, but they they were different shades of of queer and they were all different. And that just s- struck me as, you know, being the first time I really truly fully connected with that kind of character on screen and felt repre- that was the first time I actually felt true representation and there was a specific episode where I think Max is trying to find the like gay theme, gay bar, like theme night that he belongs at. Mm, yeah. But, you know, and of, the joke is that he, you know, instead of, it's not like they're talking about like leather bars per- necessarily, but the joke is that they go to these places that are like, you know, Broadway twinks. And like, it's all just, it's all a mishmash of true nonsense and it's all really funny. And and each night they go, and so they're, his friends, plan a, a sort of a, a route through Chicago uh, you know to go to all these different gay bars and see if max fits in there okay. and it's so so damn funny and so um you know so so inventive but i found it like to be a, pretty emotional for me because i felt such a kinship with the idea that he just did not fit into these um you know these sort of n- narrow uh you know n- n- um narrow groups I don't know if narrow is the right word but you know, you know like groups cliche cliques, cliche, uh, um, um I don't know tribes or whatever um, within gay male culture at least and he would go to everyone and he just could not he f- couldn't find the one and I've always felt a similar frustration where I just could not find like the right group and so for me ultimately there is you know, I found real, I, I was able to really like find uh, re- f- commiserate with that storyline on the show. I felt some real, um, em- empath I really feel, you know, I felt really empathetic, um, for the character, but it, it felt like emancipate, like emancipative for me, um, to see that again through comedy. So it wasn't so, it wasn't so excruciating, you know, mm-hmm. it was funny and and could be light, but I found it really emotional. And that was, um, yeah, that was, that definitely did it for me that that character and specifically that episode
1: yeah that that show is I have very few television shows on dvd and that's one of them
0: yes <laughs> all the dvds you're. um oh, I think it's all on <clears throat> I think it's on, all on hulu uh, hulu now I'm pretty sure
1: it is but, I just rewatched it recently it's, oh,
0: it's so good and I you know sort of as a just a um to put a point on that like I feel like for me, the tribe, if you want to call it that, that I've been able to, I felt such a kinship with from, you know, pretty soon after after coming out was when I first started doing comedy in 2007. I pretty quickly met two comedians, both of whom were gay men, and both of whom were actually uh, comfortable with criticizing and critiquing and complaining quite frankly about like the experience and like they they weren't eager to I don't know sort of neuter it and and just kind of make it all feel like everything's everything's great there's no there's no there's never any problems with with how this goes and how it works like you just go out to bars and this is what happens and blah 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 and these two um who I co-host my podcast with to this day H. Uh, Allen Scott and Brent Sullivan were just I was like, oh, this is, this is my tribe, like comedians who are queer, who can actually poke fun at the experience so that we can all kind of get through it together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's, you know, I I just feel like I know a bunch of, a bunch of queer comedians who share that same mentality and the freedom that they, the freedom that they have to do that made me feel like this is my, this is my group. This is my group, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's, so it's a non-traditional one, I guess, so to speak, but I think ultimately the idea is that like the message is that you, you can find your tribe. It just might not be one of them that are listed on like (laughs) grinder, try grinder or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you find your tribe. It's just a matter of the people that you surround yourself with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Finding that family. Um, As you're talking, I I think, yeah, I think, yeah. Finding your family, finding your like where you feel like you belong and where you fit in and where you can see yourself this you know a common a commonality in some way yeah I've um been,
0: uh uh i've actually be, i've become friends with um tommy doe and todd masterson both of whom are we all sort of fall into the same camp on i guess on instagram where the three of us among other people have sort of uh, I don't know if I don't know how how intentional it was but three of us all poke fun at like the in particular like gay male social media and like the insta gays and and just the, the the sort of the mindlessness with the mindlessness with which those people find popularity but there's a there's a there's a it's like they've been lobotomized and I think I feel such a kinship with Tommy and Todd in particular because they not only share the same feelings as I do, but they also make um, comedy and content that counteracts it without necessarily being mean. It's just more about like satire, but e- the three of us all do it differently, but we've, we've really found a, a a bond over that kind of content. And that's, I don't know, that, that, that thought process.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's helpful to see that satirized because I think, you know, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, you know, for so long, it was so, it was stigmatized and bad, quote unquote, bad, not even quote unquote, it was bad to be gay. And mm-hmm. so then it was like, how do we get digestible? This is the quote unquote part, digestible gayness. Yeah. So yeah. we like, here we see Will, we see Will and Jack, but Will yeah. is counteracting Jack's gayness. Yes. Um, and so then we're like, okay, so white sis, yes. with, you know, a huge apartment, rich, this is what we have to aspire to. Yep, exactly. And we haven't evolved away from that.
0: Right. And I, I always, you know, as, as a uh, younger, young person, I would watch Will and Grace and feel, well, a, I was still closet when I was watching in, in high school, but I was also like, do I have to, ch-? I thought I have, I really genuinely thought I had to choose which one I wanted to be. Like yeah. I just might, My kid brain was like, I have to choose which one I want to be, but I feel like it would be easier to be Will because Jack is going to get teased. Even when I was younger, like my so-called life was on and I I watched it, I think a little later than when it was actually on TV for the first time. But I genuinely remember watching Wilson Cruz as Ricky and he would get tormented in high school, tormented. And I thought if, if he's what I secretly am, then I don't know how I can do this because I thought that if I'm what he is somehow, even though I had no desire to like, you know, dress, I guess, flamboyantly or like, you know, cross-dress a little bit or be, you know, um, be experimental in my clothing or whatever, or how I presented myself, even though I had no desire to do that, I just felt, oh, if I'm, if I, if I like reveal this secret, I'm going to be like him and I'm going to be tormented. And so it not, and that's not to say the show didn't do a huge service by presenting a character like Ricky. I'm just saying in my kid brain, it was still a very um, uh, extreme version that freaked me out as did Will, and, as was Will and Jack, because I thought I had to be one of them. I didn't know that there were in between options, even like in college that even in college, like, Queer Eye blew up for the first time, and that changed everything, I think. It actually made it feel safe to invite queer men in particular into your home. Mm -hmm. But I still remember watching it and being like, cool, but also like, I'm not, I don't do hair, I don't care about clothes, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to decorate a room, and so there, there were still these sort of stock characters that... I just didn't feel a connection with until I saw, you know, Adam do Max on Happy Endings all those years later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just you're just we're just, you know, really hammering home the point of like why we need such diverse representation on TV, because we need to see ourselves. Um, What you're describing um, with Ricky is a similar scenario when I watched Boys Don't Cry in high school. Mm Yeah. Um. And feeling like, well, if this is what happens exactly. to trans men, then I am fucking not going to do that.
0: Yep. It's that an excruciating awful. movie. To I mean, it's really well done, of course, but yeah. So tragic. So excruciating. It gives you no <clears throat> recourse and, and, and it, it's not, you know, it doesn't make you hopeful. Unfortunately. I, yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm not, I can't speak for you, but it's yeah. certainly didn't, didn't make me hopeful or, or, you know, give me warm fuzzy feelings about being trans. Um. Yeah. But now it's like as times have changed, I think of, I don't know, like Shaquina Nafak or like Trace Lizette or Janet Mock, all these people who are like fucking amazing and fierce and funny and like quirky. You know what I mean? Like they're they're all different people who have all these qualities about them. And the last thing I would think about them is is tragic or tragedy. Yeah. They're just powerful in their own ways and I I don't know. It's it's different. It's different, but it helps. Every little bit helps.
1: Yeah, it does. And, and you know like I I I Shakina was uh we did a live recording of the podcast for Ooh. season 2 and she was our live guest oh, Great, which was <laughs> su- such a treat. Um but, but yeah, but what I think about so yes, I agree with everything you just said and I still get so worried about my trans siblings and me with, for, with, you know, with all the violence, especially trans women, oh my God, like, you know, it's, just, I mean, and I know that you're not, not saying that. I just yeah, felt no. like I needed you just, because there's so much violence and yeah. there's so much anti-trans rhetoric and legislation that, um, like we need, we, we, it is life or death. We need representation yeah. and we need this de-stigma- destigmatization stigmatization yeah. yesterday. Yeah, because people have to understand and get on board. Or I mean, people are dying. Yeah, I think the
0: more, I, I'm, I, I'm not professing to know much, but I, I do think that the more fiction, fictional or non-fictional characters <clears throat> that exist that are trans and and are people that you'd want to hang out with. Or people that make you laugh, you know what I mean. It, the the prop. I, I would think the more the, or the less um, ne, the less uh, otherness people would feel towards them in you know in in just a in a more symbiotic way where it's like again the more trans characters are normalized by just being trans, and uh, plenty of other things, the less people are going to feel like they can't uh, uh, relate to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that happened with with gay men. I think that happened with gay women. And I think it needs to continue happening with especially with trans people because yeah, in a way you're right. It is kind of, it is life and death.
1: Yeah. Um...
0: At least from my perspective as somebody who like creates content, you know, to me, that's how I see it. And I'm I'm thinking outside of the realm of what, amazing activists do and, and, you know, social justice warriors. Like I'm thinking of it from just the perspective of somebody who creates content and thinks about that in a sort of a, a, a representative spectrum as a, as a queer person. But <clears throat> again, I think it's like, just normalize it, normalize it, normalize it so that it, beco- it does, it becomes n- not different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's too, I think about this metaphor all the time. And I learned about it in anti in the anti-racist work that I do of like we're all in this, we all need to be in the river, and the river is the work. And some of us are in a speedboat and some of us have our feet dangling in, yeah. and some of us are in a canoe, and we're some of us are swimming and walking. So we're all in it in different speeds and different avenues. Yeah. Um, but we're all in it together. And yeah. so I want to apply that also. To, to this conversation that we're having too. It's like, right, so you're what you're doing is you're creating comedy and you're creating this way, this entry point. And then activists are creating this entry point. And yeah. you know, we we have to get it from all the angles. And corporate pride, you know, love it or hate it, we're still, it's still normal. I I hate it. And it's still, you know, like you're saying, it's making kids feel safe or seen or because I too never would have imagined seeing a bank have a rainbow flag like yeah. that it's, it felt impossible it's wild, it's wild. yeah yeah
0: I'm re- I still I was saying to a friend the other day I still remember when it was like if don't drink this beer drink drink Coors I think it's Coors Light because they they're cool with gay people you know Absolute Vodka is cool with gay people so drink that like again this is like few and far between and I don't remember much but I remember that happening and now here we are you know, years later where like, you know, garbage dumps are like, we support queer, pro-, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's why it's so it's laser fast. It happened in such a short period of time that it's mind boggling. And as much as I, and I mean, you and I both keep saying love it or hate it. And like part yeah. of me is sort of eye rolling at it, but for the most part, I'm, I'm really glad it exists because even if it is, tacky even if even if it feels opportunistic you know even if it feels hollow to me and just in my opinion at the end of the day it's visibility and yeah. it's positive it's positive it's positive to see it it's more visibility it's it's more um positive feelings about the queer community and allyship again that that's not discounting the fact that a lot of it feels hollow but yeah all be all said and done. Like, I'm glad it's, I'm glad it exists because it only encourages other companies to follow suit.
1: Yeah. And so I know I was like very strongly, I hate it. But I mean, as you're talking, and two, it's also, I think it's a both and. I don't think I have to pick one or the other. No, you and... don't. No, God, no. <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. And, and also to kind of tie in what you're, what you've been kind of weaving into about this accountability culture, it's like, okay, so now I, cause I, I at least on my, In my world, my bubble of social media, I more and more are seeing my my people calling out these corporations Mm -hmm. and, like, holding them accountable. Okay, so you're profiting off of our identities. Right. What are you doing for the queer community? What are the policies in your organization that support the LGBTQ employees yeah. That that's, where,
0: true, that's where, that's where the work comes in because you're correct. When I say like some of it can feel hollow, it's like,
1: yeah, right. These,
0: you know, these people in our community are going the doing the right thing that I'm not doing, but doing the right thing by holding them accountable and saying, if you say you are, you know, all about pride and all about our community, you have to, I'm just thinking of Ibram Zendi talking about how anti-racism all stems from policy and how yeah. everything it's, it, Racism just stems from policy. And it's like then if homophobia stems from policy, then you need to fix it if you're going to align yourselves with us.
1: Yeah. Man, Dr. Kendi knows everything.
0: <laughs> He's great. Wait, did I say yeah. Zen? Oh,
1: I think it's, it's Elon- X. Kendi. Ex Kendi. Yeah, yeah. I always yeah.
0: say Zendi. But yeah. Um incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I think the a huge chunk of work that I do at Keshet is working with Jewish organizations on changing their policy. Yeah. So a shift in culture can happen. It's like nothing is going to change if you're not backing this up on an institutional level. Right. It's all
0: about if That's that's truly what it's all about. Policy and, you know, support, financial support.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I could talk about this with you all day, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, but I, so I need to uh, move us into our last section, which is our lightning round. Um, Very lighthearted. The questions are the first two seasons were very binary and I was lovingly called in to make them less binary. So they're, they're open-ended. There's one binary that I could not get rid of. I already have a hunch what you're going to answer, but I won't (laughs) spoil it. Um, If you could name your crayon, what would you name it?
0: Name my crayon. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Um, uh, Oh god, that's so good. Uh, (laughs) I would have to. I would do um, Moses Ice only because my beautiful new dog Moses is literally the color of ice, Mm. and it's sort of like a. He's like a mix of like gunmetal and charcoal. His coat is gorgeous, and so I'm just gonna go with Moses Ice.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite time of day.
0: Um, my favorite time of day. I I find solace at like, I find solace at like 9.00 PM. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but that I like everything feels like you're either, you're either like, (laughs) that feels like you can finally chill for some reason to me. That's great. Yeah.
1: Um, we kind of already talked about this, but not really. But favorite current queer media representation?
0: Uh favorite current queer media representation. Um God, oh, that's a great question. Why don't I have an answer for that? I mean I I, I feel like I feel like um pen fifteen mm. does a really good job at at even if the characters aren't necessarily like queer there's something queer about them just to begin with.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: And to me, I don't know, it, it, they just do it pretty seamlessly. Just exploring that, I guess, cause they're talking about like them as, as kids, you're seeing them as like preteens and there's something that feels, yeah, a little, a little queer, even if it's not in the most binary terms, it feels queer to, to watch that happen. And I just, so that show is so good.
1: That show is so good. So I also good. really, I was the guest last week and I also really struggled with this question for some reason, even though I knew it was coming. Oh, um, <laughs> But I love, I actually really love the way that you're using queer and your, in your, I guess def, the way you're defining queer in bringing Pen15 in, you're clearing yeah. the word queer and I like it. Oh, good. <laughs>
0: I just thought of another one.
1: Yeah. So I, um,
0: I listened to Howard Stern pretty religiously and some people, including me, before my friend turned me on to it, are like, "But he's disgusting and a misogynist and all that stuff and a homophobe or whatever." And I firmly thought the same thing until my friend, f- who is gay, forced me to listen, and I realized that like Howard now is a very, like, a deeply evolved person who's j- like a huge advocate for queer- the queer community, like huge. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's he's he just he gets called like too liberal now and he's like fuck you like I don't care you know he's like I don't care and so what I love in terms of representation is that he has he's had George Takai on for years now Mm -hmm. and George goes on onto a show that is prime you know I think is primarily heard by men I mean it's totally diverse but it's still primarily heard by men and a lot of them are probably on the on the right or whatever but all of that being said he's had George on for years and George is the most hilarious bizarre eccentric um older gay gentleman who's like in a completely monogamous like uh, almost annoyingly traditional relationship with his longtime husband Brad and they are so candid on the show but in a way that is so earnest and genuine and funny and loving that that to me is really wildly powerful and how normalizing it is of a queer couple. Mm -hmm. Um, Also a queer couple of a certain age, you know? Um, So I, whenever that, whenever George is on, it's epic to listen to because you think you have to think about like these, I don't know. I just imagine like Republican truckers or something listening to George Takei and being like, yeah, he's, you know, he's really funny. He's a weirdo, but like, he loves his husband. I love my, Girlfriend or wife or whatever it is. And there's there's just a there's just a normalizing of it that I find to be really powerful. Mm, that's so, awesome. 1015 and George Takai.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um amazing. Sorry, that was um, so
0: long-winded. I apologize. Oh, it's
1: fine. You know what? I opened myself up to this <laughs> because I turned my lightning round into very big, deep questions. Oh, good. Um but before I get to the next ones, sure. I thought of something that I really wanted to say earlier and I couldn't remember and i remembered of when you were talking about how like the week leading up to coming out you were like women's breasts Ugh, are cool so embarrassing well the episode where max is debating on coming out yes. to his parents yes and he's like look at these things and it's ah, like so, so awkward funny. about him like <laughs> so that, good that sounds like or when he pretended to,
0: and then he, there was an episode where he pretended to be straight so he could get like be- courtside, side uh, um basketball tickets from this girl and it's the most it's just it's just bumbling and weird but it's never he's never he's never doing the thing that I always get irked by which is when gay guys talk about vaginas as if they're like gross mm. there's not that and that to me is yeah, like yeah. super toxic and he doesn't engage in that which I love the characters yeah, yeah. engage in that kind of language which I love he's just like I don't know how to do you know what I mean he just wants he's a he's a dirtbag he wants basketball courtside seats so he like you know, leads this
1: woman on. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it also reminds me of from 40 year old version when he's like bags of sand. Bags of sand. Yeah, bags of <laughs> sand. Perfect. So good. <laughs> okay. A song that makes your heart sore.
0: Oh, why did my brain go to fireworks by Katy Perry? I have no idea. Well, have that's
1: to- the answer.
0: <laughs> I guess that's the answer, but I'm going to have to say um, uh, the joke by Brandy Carlisle. That'll do it. Mm. That'll do it.
1: Every song of hers makes me cry. Oh, All of them. Incredible. Um, I'm she's seeing incredible. her in Forest Hills in July. Oh, cool. I'm so excited. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Concert. Oh. Um, favorite way to travel. Um,
0: car. Mm. Yeah. I like, I love being in the comfort of my own, my own little environment. Yeah. <laughs> and also I bring my dog with me a lot of places and I'm very proud of myself for learning how to, um, how to uh, tackle his car sickness, which, which was that I found a like booster seat that hangs midair from the front seat and mm-hmm. it keeps him level, and so it looks ridiculous, but it makes it so easy. He, he has not vomited ever since I got that thing.
1: Wow, I'm just yeah. imagining your dog in this like hovering yes seat, and you that's with it. your neck fans, just <laughs> yes. like driving down the PCH, just yep, like a lunatic, total lunatic. Yep, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Uh, favorite quote.
0: Oh God. Oh no. That's too. Oh, that's too much pressure. Favorite quote. I have to pass. Cause there's, I just can't, I can't focus on one. That's fine. I can't.
1: That's okay. Um, all right. Bagels or donuts.
0: Oh, well, I, I mean, I love, I, I'm a Jew. I love bagels, of course, but I have an enormous sweet tooth that is just mm. unrelenting. So I have to go with donuts.
1: So I guessed wrong because I thought you were oh, going to really? guess bagel. Yeah. um, That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but choosing donuts is fine. It's rare. It, it's rare. It happens. Also, something so about funny. me is I love bagels. <laughs>
0: yeah. Bagels are great. I mean, obviously bagels are important. They were a huge, crucial staple of my life growing up. But if you're going to give me savory versus sweet, I'm going to always go with sweet. But that also being said, like, I would also have a easily take a a cinnamon raisin donut as soon as I would a bagel. Mm. Have you ever had like the rainbow bagels?
1: Yeah, that's so good.
0: I oh my God. I like was so excited when they had them in Williamsburg a few years ago. I thought they were incredible.
1: Oh, whoops.
0: Yes. (laughs) I thought they were like the best dessert I'd ever had.
1: I, to me, they didn't have taste.
0: I think wherever I went, it was like, maybe they put like a sweet cream cheese on it, like a frosting cream cheese. Oh, maybe that actually mind-boggling
1: mm.
0: it was amazing
1: maybe i'll try it again i yeah, do like but... a strawberry cream cheese oh sure i, I get yeah. shit for that but it's I, you know
0: i do the weird thing where i like a sweet bagel and then a savory cream cheese so i'll have a mm. lemon raisin bagel with scallion cream cheese on it interesting weird i don't care i would
1: never <laughs> how listen if you're gonna talk about bagels i'm not gonna call you weird yeah good <laughs> good um any anything to plug, anything we should keep on our radar? Um, nothing that's
0: happening too soon, but you can listen to You're Making It Worse if you want to hear about, I don't know, the the queer news through a comic, comic perspective. And I don't know, it's just three of us sort of uh, complaining about, about gay stuff, but it's really heartfelt. And we try to uh, make it about news, but also about life and um, all the stuff that goes along with it. So it, we, you know, we have a pretty, um, small, but devoted following among a lot of queer people across the spectrum. So yeah, it's called, you're making it worse and you can listen to it anywhere.
1: Great. I will tag it in the post of this episode. So nice. I've listened to, um, for, for someone who hosts a podcast, I don't listen to many podcasts, yeah. but I listened to that one. To oh, yours. Um, oh, and I really love it. And yeah, it's digestible news. You all yeah. make it funny, but you're also just reiterate what all the things you're saying it's also really heartfelt right. and what you talk about too is relatable and it's yeah. nice to hear other people talking about stuff that's like oh like there are songs in high school that remind me of being in the closet oh. or you know yeah. Caitlyn Jenner's garbage or you yeah. know <laughs> like all the you know all the all the, the like staples
0: yeah I think and what I mean what we try to do with it's not by design it just kind of is the way it is is that it's through we're three, you know, really close friends who host it together. But among the three of us, Brent is very much the sort of <laughs> by-the-books curmudgeon who is sort of the the pessimist. I sort of fall in the middle, and Al H Allen is very much an optimist who's almost like a historian on gay issues, and so he's always really optimistic about stuff. And so it's a really fun spectrum to hear because I don't know. We that's just how of that sort of. We, you get the range you know you get the range you have like a Pollyanna you have the you know the 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 naysayer and so it's it's but but it's our you know that's our natural chemistry and relationship so it seems to work
1: amazing I love it um, Elliot thank you so much for being here and sharing and chatting this was a true delight thanks for having me yeah thank you for coming out thank you for coming out Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at thank you for coming out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name and you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the thank you for coming out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.